Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Will the Smart Party Do? Well, this time round, probably get a little bit savage. With me, as always, is my good friend Baz. How you doing, Baz? I am Savage Baz of the Savage World of Baz. I'm savagely good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can all look forward to some more savagery. Because it's one of our favourite games, I think. Certainly mine, and you're you're keen on it as well. Savage Worlds has just come out with its... um, I say just. It was a, a few weeks or months ago now that the new edition of Savage Worlds came out. But it's one of those sort of games that... We've played a lot, in fact, from its inception and, and the, the games that led up to Savage Worlds even being created in the first place before it was even born. Uh, and we've not really done a proper review any time recently, so this seems, with the proper release of the Adventure Edition, the right time to go through Savage Worlds. Yeah, the time's right, isn't it? We get asked about this quite a lot, actually. And Savage Worlds is one of those games where, if you're into it, I think people are really into it. But there's still an awful lot of people who are probably a bit Savage Curious gets a lot of questions on forums and Twitter and the rest and um, I think people would like to give it a go and they're slightly they slightly don't know what what it is all about so um, seeing as it's one of our favorite games and we've done what are we 100 104 episodes in mm. <laughs> I think as usual, yeah. <laughs> right on the button here <laughs> let's talk about a game that was released in 2003 my friend is nearly old enough to vote and drink <laughs> well, to be fair, uh, we were holding off a little bit because uh, it's been through some iterations, I think it's fair to say. I bought the PDF more or less as soon as you could get hold of one, and it's been through basically weekly updates as right. it's been refined and tweaked all the time. So it's only relatively recently it's actually sort of calmed down. Mm. And this edition of Savage Worlds is actually the one that's got I think some di- proper differences. It's been through various different iterations over the years of its existence, but they've been very minor. I think this is the first time we've had a change where there's some real changes to the rules and, and it's had a proper shake-up. It's still essentially the same game, but it feels like a different edition and a good time to review it. A little bit like Call of Cthulhu, for example, which had editions 1 to 6, which were functionally the same, and then it was 7th that actually had some new stuff that made it different. And I think... That's how Savage Worlds feels to me now. That it's, it's had a, enough of a change um, that you kind of look at it. It's like getting a new phone and all the icons are different and the menu options aren't <laughs> what you think they are and that kind of stuff. And it's felt like I've had to relearn the game a little bit because there's there are some different changes now. Yeah, and rather inconveniently, Savage Worlds doesn't do edition numbers. It doesn't go first, second, third, fourth or whatever. It's no. just got... Um, the the one we're referring to, in case anyone gets lost, if you're following along at home, is Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, sometimes called Swade for short, S-W-A-D-E. Mm. Um, and uh, that's the one we're looking at. It's in PDF right now, so probably a link in the show notes. Get down to drive through, you can see that. It's, um, it's inexpensive, to say the least. And I think the print run is kind of due, isn't it? I'm thinking later 2019 is what I've seen. Yeah, now that the previous edition to this, the um, the sort of like, I suppose that was the one that got a lot of people into the game, and it was a digest size A5, and it was a tenner, uh, and that just like because it was so inexpensive, that got a lot of people into Savage Worlds because it was for the price it was, that was like, well, why not buy it? And then when they've kickstarted Savage Worlds again this time, they've actually gone for a proper big box. So um, you can get the Essentials box set, but that's one hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, and you know, the, so the Adventure Edition on its own, the core rule book's like forty dollars now. So it's a proper uh, tray size hardback book, that kind of thing. 
Um, mm. So it's, it's they've moved it probably from what it was an easy access game, pick up and play, into proper game in inverted commas in that. They've done a proper full-colour edition, all the rest of it. Um, and I've gone for the PDF on that because it's that old problem. or Well, it's a new problem, but it seems to keep coming up time and time again. It's shipping from America to the UK's prohibitive, shall we say. So I could get the book for like $40, $50, mm. whatever it was, but then add another 25 to 30 for shipping just made it too expensive to get and Kickstarter. Once it's in shops, I might buy the actual hardback when I see it and get my hands on it. But yeah, we've just got that issue at the minute with um, with Kickstarters and other, other funded projects that if they're in the States and you're not, the shipping costs a significant percentage of the cover price. Yeah, so that's really interesting because my knowledge of Savage Worlds as a game line goes right back to the beginning, back to those early 2000s. But I've not been playing Savage for quite some time. And you have. You sort of kept much more up to date with things than I have. So my sort of beloved copies of Savage Worlds were things like the Explorer edition, which, as you say, was was a, was a fairly thin, by rulebook standards, softback thing that you could drop in your gaming bag. and But it was absolutely complete. And it was definitely a big selling point for Savage Worlds. And I did have the original hardback as well. But it's been there's been deluxe editions and then this newest one comes along. And I must admit, it slightly confused me because obviously I'm looking at a PDF on an iPad and that's mm. about the same size as the old Savage World book used to that's be. Right. Yeah. And it fits that form really nice. I hadn't actually realised it was going to be what you would consider a traditional book. But I guess at 212 pages, that's that's a bit thick for a little digest book, isn't it? Yeah, and if you look at the... Um... The essentials, it's again a big slipcase type thing. So that seems to be where most people have gone. Call of which I've mentioned, Delta Green did the same, Warhammer's got similar mm-hmm. coming. It's that seems to be the thing. Uh, and I think we've one of the good friends of the show got Dennis Detwell have pointed this out on Twitter recently that people still like big honking books. Uh, it's right. not my preference. I like something I could read on the train, if you know what I mean, like a book sized book. Uh, but it seems that the market's against me. I'm in the minority there, that people actually want big fat books. And box sets okay. and slip cases and things like that. So, okay, so I guess as we talk about this, it's going to be inevitable, isn't it, that we'll end up talking about what's different with mm. this latest upgrade to Savage Worlds. And I suppose if you're coming to Savage Worlds completely fresh, that might not be entirely fair. But <laughs> it's like you can't talk about fifth edition D and D without talking about armor class and beholders from way back, can you? It's it kind of comes no, with the territory a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, so. I suppose if we we take a little look through this and we see what we think, shall we? Yeah, I think it's probably worth saying that Savage Worlds came about from kind of a miniatures game, really, and the cool thing about it, when they did the original Deadlands, that's kind of like the archetypal Savage game now, um, but the original Deadlands system was just super complicated with loads mm. of random swingy stuff in it. So you can end up with one stat being a D4, another stat 4D12, and you roll it and pick the best dice, but dice can explode, and then out of that number you pick a number of cards and try and make a poker hand, and you have different coloured paper clips around your character sheet. And it was just a bit of a mess. And to be fair to the guys at uh, Pinnacle, they released some developer notes as they were making Savage, and basically said, I'm going to paraphrase, but sorry guys, we messed that up. That was all a bit too much. And then they walked you through where they'd gone from that place where they were to produce these Savage Worlds. Ideally for Deadlands, but for all kinds of other settings as well. And have they streamlined it and learned lessons from before and made something a lot better while keeping some of the feel and the cool stuff that people liked from the old um, the old games, as in tactile things like poker chips and cards, 
but make it into a much better, more easily accessible actual role-playing game. Uh, so that's that's the first thing to give Shane and the guys real kudos for, is that they did a proper serialised developer's notes thing where they talk you through everything that they did to get to the point where they are now. Yeah, agreed. And, and we were both on board for that, weren't we, in the early 2000s? Mm. And, and and I liked reading those designer diaries. Um, and I think they're still available. They must be because they were online. They're worth a read even now because Savage World still at its heart holds to those design philosophies. So it's... Um, and it's now proved its longevity, I suppose. Um, mm. It was. It's always been... It will never be D&D, because no game will ever be that. But it's a, probably very much a mid-tier game. It's it's always popular. I've, I've never not seen it at a convention. It's always been in print. And the amount of support material, as far as settings and stuff go... I mean, we're probably going to have to do a couple of podcasts to cover everything yes. Savage. Uh, easily, I would think. But there is, there's an entire hobby in just playing Savage Worlds. Um, and that's got pros and cons to it, as I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those good toolkit systems, I call it. So uh, if you're aware of fate, uh, it's a little bit like that in that there are those insufferable people on the internet who always turn up in threads saying, have you tried fate? Anytime somebody asks a question about what real set <laughs> is. Um, so it is a toolkit system in that respect that there are this bewildering array of different games you could play, or settings certainly with Savage Worlds, uh, but it's a bit cruncher, there's more rules to it, there's more to get your teeth into, I find, but it feels a similar sort of place to that in terms of uh, the sort of game you're getting, if you know what I mean, rather than something that's tied to one specific setting or that kind of thing. Yeah, so we're, we're in trad territory here, aren't we, mate? Savage Worlds is yeah. pretty traditional, you've got a GM... You've got some players, the types of games that you're going to play with Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds doesn't have just a Savage World setting. It needs its own setting to play in, in the same way as Fate does or GURPS did and still mm. does. Um, so it has that. The GM will have adventures and the players will go off and do something that's probably quite uh, quite Hollywood. Um, there's uh, Again, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but there's always a bit of a sort of a, a pulp veneer over everything Savage. Um, the strap line for the game is fast, furious, fun. Um, and there's certainly, I think they can back up those words with the way that they present their book. But you're getting something that is it's what you think of when you think of traditional role-playing game. So that although it's full of innovations and lovely little things that we really like, it's a, it's a GM probably around the table with some people drinking tea and beer and eating biscuits. Yeah, yeah. I, I quite often see it mentioned as like a PG-13 game or something. Uh, or if you think of like Indiana Jones or that kind of... That mm. feels like the sort of game it is. Um, yeah, it's kind of like rollicking adventure. Maybe like the Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon matinee movies you used to watch with Errol Flynn or something else like that, some other kind of adventure. Um, but yeah, let's let's have a, a wander through the book, Baz, then, and, and see what we think. I think we can skip past the starting bit where it says what is a role-playing game and what you need to play in terms of what dice you need and that kind of stuff. I think that's all fair enough. Yeah, well, you need all the dice. I think it's worth mentioning mm. that because it's it's that standard, but there's a, there's a special dice you need. <laughs> the wire <laughs> you know, of that. You get straight to the innovation straight away, don't you? You need a special dice. Yeah, you because if you rock up to this game with just your, your little tube of polyhedrals that you use for playing Pathfinder... Okay, you are, you are swiftly going to find yourself like with the experienced uh, Savage Worlds players around the table going, "Aha, where's your where's your special orange dice? It's always <laughs> orange. It is for me anyway. What what colour is your wild dice, guys? This tell you a lot about your personality. 
Well, it's funny. I'm going to listeners won't be able to see this, but I'm going to pick up a handful of dice to my left and uh, and sort of put them in front of the camera. You can probably see that one of them's orange and <laughs> it's D6 shaped. Uh, so it depends on the dice sets they use. But yeah, you've got a wild die in Savage, which is used for wild cards, which are people like the the PCs or important NPCs that like named villains. So uh, extras, everybody else, all the mooks in the game, just roll whatever dice they've got. So if they've got a D8 in fighting, they roll a D8. But your uh, main characters, like the PCs, roll the wild die as well, which is D6, and then pick the best one. So it straight away sets out that idea that you are playing the Indiana Jones type game or something where the character is special and expected to do a bit better than normal folk. Yeah. I really like the wild dice. It does take a bit of getting used to, I've found. That, um, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, people try and add them together. Sometimes mm. that that's a fairly that's a fairly obvious thing to do. And if you're rolling like you know, if you're fantastic with a trait and you're rolling like a d12 in it or something, and you're rolling a d6, that d6 can often do better than the d12 because the d12 is the traitor dice. So that's always <laughs> going to happen. Um, and they all explode as well, don't they? Which is called aces in the game. So anytime yeah. you max out on a dice, you roll and keep adding. And and I've I've. You know that can take a bit of getting used to, but it's not—it's not too onerous and doesn't take very long to get past it. No, I think you're right. I don't know why some people seem to have a mental block with that, and you—you have to say you can roll that die again, you can roll that die, <laughs> and that kind of thing. But I think within one session, most people understand most of the rules about Savage Worlds are not on it, aren't they? They kind of get it. So it's—it's good. Yeah, I you do need like, a four or more. On it. You know, take your best dice. You need a four or more, generally speaking. Largely, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, for every four you get above that, it's called a race. So you might do extra damage or get more information from questioning someone or whatever it is. So that's a, a really basic core of the game. But because of the acing dice or the, the exploding dice and the fact you've got a wild die, that sort of thing happens quite often as well. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot more boosts of success for your actions. So it feels like a succeeding sort of game rather than. Perhaps the old editions of Warhammer or something, or BRP, where you used to fail quite a lot. Savage is definitely geared towards players succeeding. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even without a wild dice, with a, with a, just a straight D6 roll, even I'm good enough at maths to know that's 50-50. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that, that's better than you get in most games, and then then it's slightly weighted towards you. How, I mean, again, we'll, we'll come back to this. In play, you don't you don't feel invulnerable. Far from it. You do succeed a lot of stuff, but that doesn't mean the game's a walkover. Far from it. So, you know, again, we'll, we'll come back to that. But anyway, um, in in the same chapter, I wanted to mention that although we're, we're trying to, we're going to skip past this a bit, there are some bits of kit that you will need for Savage Worlds that other games don't ask from you. Mm. Um, so, packs of cards and bennies, guys. Tell us about those. Yeah, so uh, action cards of the color, which is just a normal deck of cards with the two jokers in. They're used for things like uh, initiative. So you deal everybody a card, and then you go from aces to twos in value order, and they go in reverse alphabetical order of suits. So spades is first and clubs is last. But that straight away gives everybody an idea of who's going when. So you just deal the cards out on the table, and then you know that the ten of spades is going before the four of clubs and everybody else, all the players. And if the GM does it and puts those in front of them, you can all see who's going when and who's going to get to go before the baddies do, and who can set up some tricks or try and help out another player, or who's in trouble because they're going to get beat on by the, the villain and his minions before they even get to have a go or do anything. Uh, and that's really uh, nifty. There's some things called edges, which are like advantages, that can monkey about, basically, with those card values or give you extra cards and that kind of thing. Uh, and if you get a joker, then you get plus two to your action. It's like a special Brucey bonus for you. 
Uh, and in this new edition, uh, they have what used to be an old um, optional rule, or, or a setting rule, as they call it, called Joke as well. But this is to be like part of the core rules now, where everyone gets a Benny if, if one of the players gets a Joker. Now, Bennies we haven't mentioned, but that's normally people use poker chips or stuff like that for them. And they're like fake chips, or you get a re-roll for them. We'll probably talk about it later when we get to the full mm. list. They've, they've expanded that list of what you can do with bennies now as well. But the cards give you a really visible, tactile way of seeing who's going when in the initiative order. There's no need to keep track of it secretly or wonder who's going next, that kind of stuff. And then the poker chips and bennies give you, again, that visible idea of how much luck someone's got. If you see a big stack of bennies in front of someone, you think, well, they can take a shot, actually, or they've got the best chance of doing this because they'll get to re-roll lots by using these stack of chips. And if someone's got none left, you think, well, they're in trouble. We need to help them out. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple of little bits that don't come out of the pages about what's good about cards and bennies. I mean, the first thing is, as you say, guys, it's really, really visual. So as a GM, not having to write on a bit of scrap paper an initiative order in every fight, that, that goes towards the fast element of the game. It, it is a significant yeah. time-saving to do this. And it's not cyclical initiative like you would get in your D20 games. You do this with every every round, don't you? But it, it can be quite fast. And, and it's something that I know that you hand off to a player to do. You get a card monkey. That's um, right. That's, that's not a problem at all. Um, and there's never a draw. There is never a draw in this. And things like holding your action or doing delays is really easy to manage and flipping cards over. It's just, it works really nicely. But you know, the thing I like most about the cards is it is an excuse to get a custom deck for whatever game it is you're doing, whatever the setting is. Because playing cards and eBay are going to hose your money out of your uh, bank account. I've got so many different sets of cards now. But yeah. it's still cheaper than playing Magic the Gathering. So <laughs> look at it that way. <laughs> cards I actually use. <laughs> yeah, and Benny's. I mean, you you just you just blithely said then like you, some people use poker chips. They do, guess, don't they? Some of them buy clay baked ceramic poker chips from Vegas itself, and <laughs> some people use bullet casings, and some people use little gemstones that they've collected particularly. So it's gamer bling, and who doesn't like doing that? Yeah, some of us have mahogany carousels that you can spin around as they're like colour to <laughs> It's a little bit awkward to take to conventions. I'm not going to lie, but yeah, in terms of having stuff on the table which looks cool, it's great. In fact, in the old trip to Jerusalem, which is allegedly the oldest pub in Britain, in Nottingham, one of many, we, we, yeah, <laughs> we, we got thrown out at one point um, because they thought we were gambling, and they would not believe that all the, the poker chips and cards were to do with a, a, basically a game of Dungeons and Dragons. The, the barman yeah. just would not have it, and we were turfed out of the pub because they assumed we were gambling and they didn't have a gambling license. So yeah. it yeah. looks cool. Certainly, if you're playing something like Deadlands, which is based on cowboys and that kind of thing, it, it all adds to the feel of the game. And having the right mm-hmm. bling for the right setting, like some you know fake co- toy coins for doubloons or things like that for a pirate game or anything like that, all, all just adds to the feel of the, the adventure you go on. Yeah, you can definitely tell when people are playing Savage Worlds. It looks like it because they've just got loads of stuff. Um, the other stuff as well, it's worth mentioning, they put the word optional in the rulebook these days, but miniatures, miniatures is a bit of a thing with Savage. They are optional as they are for every game, but... I think it is worth mentioning that Savage Worlds as a rule set uh, both comes from a bit of a wargaming background, um, but also it enables miniatures play. It doesn't insist upon it, but it absolutely enables it, and it's got some cool ways to introduce miniatures into your gaming and quite big-scale engagements 
um, better than than a lot of other games do. I mean, it, it runs actually as a skirmish system if you want it to be. It's far far more than that, but it does do quite a lot. And Savage Worlds is well supported by miniatures, um, not necessarily ones you have to paint either. They do lots of figure flats, and there's a whole host of stuff available through Pinnacle. So, if you like pushing bits of stuff around the table in between your pennies and your playing cards and your bags of Doritos, you're well supported. But it's yeah. worth mentioning, I think, because that, that wargaming background is is very prevalent in Savage Worlds. Yeah, I think, they've. to be fair, I think this edition they've pushed it back a little bit. It's still there mm. and you can use it, but I think they've taken the focus off a little bit. I think when it first came out, the, the sort of DNA back to that wargaming route was really obvious. Yeah. And I think now they've eased off it a little bit. So you've still got the stuff there if you want to use it, but it's, like you say, it's an optional now rather than being more front and centre, perhaps possibly. Yeah. Yep, cool. Okay, I think we'll probably return to settings at a different point, mate. But I mean, sure. and, and please do. If we do come back to it on a separate cast, please make sure you do listen to it because I think Savage Without Setting is just half the story. Yes. Probably less than half the story, in fact. But, you know, we need to let people know what's going on with Savage Worlds. And the, I suppose the first thing people are going to say is, what's up with characters then, mate? So you've generated probably thousands of characters for Savage Worlds by now in all kinds of different genres. Mm. What's the process? What What are the pros and cons? Is it fast? Is it gritty? Is it slow? What, how does it compare? Well, obviously I'm outraged now because they've changed things. So all the intricately <laughs> arranged Excel spreadsheets with autocalc formulas are all wrong. So oh, thanks, Pinnacle, for that, you <laughs> buggers. Um, yeah. So it's quite simple. Certainly if you're making novice characters, um, you have five stats, five attributes, which are um, strength, agility, vigor, spirit, and smarts, which are all reasonably self-explanatory. You start off with a D4 in each. You've got five points to spend. So if you want to be lazy, you've got a D6 in each of your stats. That's your starting point. Well done. You've finished. That's your stats. Um, skills works a little bit different than used to. There's a, a list of skills. And the changes they've made now are to uh, rationalize some of them uh, and some of the choices I think they've made are good. And I did a couple more, and I think some of the choices are not as good. But either way, you now get, um, for five of the skills, you automatically get a point in each. So each point gives you a die type. It starts at D4 and obviously goes up D6, D8, that kind of thing, because you have more points. But it gives you the basics, which is good, because if you used to make uh, Savage Worlds characters back in the day, you'd always forget to give someone, for example, notice, which is like the perception skill, and then that character would spend the rest of the, the scenario trying to see things and couldn't because they had no notice skills and stuff like that. So notice, stealth, athletics, common knowledge, and one other that I can't remember off the top of my head. So stealth, I think it is. Um, now you just get for free. So all characters have those basic things that characters in a game are going to want to do. They're going to want to sneak about. They're going to want to spot things. They want to be able to scale walls or swim a river. So you'll get some ability in doing some of the basic stuff you're doing here, which is cool. And then you get 12 other points. And you distribute them amongst your skills as you see fit. So as I said, they've been rationalised now. In a previous version of Savage Worlds, you used to get stuff like uh, throwing, swimming and climbing. And um, I always felt irritated by things like those because they're quite limited use. So if you're playing a pirate's game, swimming is probably something that everybody has to have, at which point it becomes compulsory and feels you know, like I should have it. And if you're not doing that and you're playing... I don't know, dark sun, but there's no water. Swimming's absolutely useless. <laughs> so it feels like a bit of a wasted skill compared to something like, say, fighting, which you used to fight, which will do quite a lot in a Savage Worlds game normally. So they've 
managed to rationalise some of that disparity by sticking some stills together in now athletics, which is really useful and comes up in the, in the rules quite a lot. Uh, and in monkey about other stuff. But you now get, like I say, 12 points to add in your skills. That's mm-hmm. quite easy to do. It's all based around your governing stat as well. So if you've got high agility, you can put your agility skills up quite quickly. If you try and put your skills up higher than your stats, then it becomes more expensive and costs twice as much, basically. So there's a balancing act you need to do. But in terms of just raw character creation, if you're coming out new, you've got five points on your stats and then 12 points to spend on your skills, and you're more or less there. And then there's a bit of an option around edges and hindrances. And hindrances are like disadvantages, and you can get extra ones to give you extra advantages, which are the edges. And they do all kinds of funky stuff. So they might give you bonuses in certain circumstances. They might be purely for role-playing opportunities. We can get into that chapter a little bit later on. But there's only two or three picks there. And you can pick a race as well, which generally give you one or two of each of those as well. So elves, for example, might have low-light vision, but they're considered to be outsiders, so they might get a lower charisma with other people when they're trying to speak to people and things like that. So the actual picks of putting the characters together, I think you can do in 10 minutes, even if you're brand new to the game. Like, think about, you just have to look and think about what sort of things you want to be. If you want to be agile, you put some points in agility. If you want to be mm. smart, you put more points in smarts, and then apply the appropriate skills. So, if you want to be a spellcaster, you'll use spellcasting and other associated skills, and a fighter will go for fighting and shooting and things like that. So, it's all pretty self explanatory, I think. And um, the joy of Savage Worlds comes from the different edges and hindrances you can get and combinations. That's where the extra fun comes from. But the actual core bit of what you roll. I think it's easy enough to pick up. And in that way, that's one of the similarities I was going to mention with Fate, actually, that people say Fate's all about the aspects. And that is where a lot of the fun comes from. But fundamentally, it's the skills that is what you're rolling. Mm. Uh, and getting your skills right, I think, enables you to do more in the game. So on that skills question, something mm. that I've seen people bounce off of before, and it it may be non-intuitive, if, if we think that people tend to come from maybe basic role-playing or they come from... Um, from a D20 family before they get to Savage. How come you... Because do, you, your, your ratings are done in dice types, as you say. So if you, yeah. you don't really have two points in something, do you? Two points translates to you've got a D6 in something. So That's right. how come the stat and the skill seem to be a bit sort of separated at some point in that? You don't roll strength plus athletics, do you? No, you don't. Uh, so there are things like uh, if you wanted a raw... Um, strength roll, you're trying to flip a car over something, you might roll your strength Mm. Um, uh, but really they're used as governing stats, Um, so if you're agile then your skills depend on agility can be higher, easier so it's, um, although the the stats are used in the game as well, so strength is what you'll base your damage on for example and Mm. spirits to recover from being shaken if you've been um, bamboozled at some point and that kind of thing, they have all got a place but they are separate entities and, and roll for it different times so that cool. yeah, I like the die type for skills. I think it just makes sense rather than yeah, pluses so, or whatever. You get to roll bigger dice as you put more skill points in, which feels good to me. I like upgrading from a, a D four to a D six to a D eight. That feels like I'm getting somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Worth pointing out, I think, because you you don't just like bundle your dice together, and there's so many different core mechanics in mm. games now that that's quite a common thing to do. It's not a dice pool game, is it? You are rolling. A single dice, but you're always rolling a well special done. orange dice as well. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. So the other thing I wanted to mention about races as well, they give you some uh, basic ones. So you've got, you know, elves and dwarves and that kind of thing, and humans even. 
Um, but they've also got a couple of interesting ones like Rakashans, which are like cat people, and Saurians, which are like lizard people. And interestingly, for the art point of view, like the Saurian, they've got as either kind of like a samurai gear. So it's a lizard man mm. samurai, which if you're not excited by that, like you're dead inside. But the, the really important bit, I think this came from Slipstream initially, is they actually like um, started out or pointed out what the different pluses and minuses were in terms of edges and hindrances. So it gives you the recipe for making your own races. So even if you're not buying into a specific setting uh, that's published or you want to do your own, you want to emulate a TV series or a novel or whatever, it gives you the how to build up alien races based on the pluses and minuses and points values and stuff like that. So quite easily... For whatever game it is, for whatever race you want to build, you've now got the recipe for doing that as well in the book, which I think is a great addition. It is. I mean, it definitely puts more page count in there because um, I was used to, from my old book, Race, there was about half a dozen examples. Mm. uh, And they were all pretty cool, but you you either picked those or you didn't, and then you moved on. But they have taken the time to sort of like go underneath the hood of stuff here. And um, you don't have to do that at all. It's not actually a difficult thing to do either, to like generate your own race. I'm going to say that with a little bit of experience, you could probably do it without even referring to the book that much. You can yep. you can kind of do it by eye almost. So it's not a massively difficult job, but they have provided everything you could need. Um, plus, like you say, those slightly out there examples that you wouldn't see in every other game. So they're quite inspirational, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those layout features of, of any book, really, is that we haven't got to the rules yet, but you, it's got the character creation first. So you kind of... Um, as a reader, you might not understand what a lot of these things mean. It might mean actually yeah. nipping to the rules first and coming back to make your characters once you understand what some of the terms and things are. Um, for example, the, the hardy advantage means that a second shake and result in combat does not cause a wound. Well, at this point, we haven't worked out what mm-hmm. shaken is and we don't know how many wounds you can take. and So that, that doesn't mean a lot, but you know, it, it's easy enough to go to the rules bit first and come back if you want to. I think this book's written on the basis that a lot of people already know Savage Worlds to some extent. Uh, uh, I think that that's fair. I think that that's a really good observation, mate. I, I noticed that too. I did know Savage Worlds before I read it, and I was kind of glad that I did know Savage Worlds before I read it. Yeah. I'm I'm going to say now, I'm not sure. I think it may have lost a little bit for the person coming to Savage Worlds completely fresh because it's quite comprehensive now. It's not quite the easy on board that it was because it's very thorough. It but is. That, that comes at a cost, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a bit swings around about us, isn't it? Um, if if you wanted an easier version, then you don't lose too much by getting one of the older versions in PDF or something like that. True. Quite tweet. Yeah. Just to give you the the idea, I mean, you're probably better if you want to get into Savage Worlds getting this new edition because otherwise you'd be learning bad habits or incorrect rules now. But yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah. if you want an easy inboard, if it still feels like a bit too much for you, that game hasn't disappeared. There's copies still out there in the mm. internet land, so that's all right. Do you know, I mean, I hate to put you on a spot here because I don't know either and I should have just Googled it. Do they still have <laughs> test drive rules? Because that was always a thing that Pinnacle offered for free as a, a basically a quick start. Have they got an updated one of those yet? They did, didn't they? I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna have a look later on, I think. Cool. I was about to do cool. it then, but let's, we, you know, we're plenty to let's talk about. Let's move on. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll put it in the show notes if I find one. Let's put it that way. Fab. Yeah, okay, cool. So, I mean, the Pinnacle are known for doing that kind of stuff, and they are resource-rich on their website, anyway, <laughs> yeah. so please do go there for stuff. Um, I did want to say something else about character creation before we get into the details of the 
the, the good solid bits. Um, there's a few derived statistics that might be worth oh, yes. mentioning because you've got parry and toughness, um, which are pretty fundamental when it comes to any kind of conflict in the game. Yeah, so um, we've mentioned uh, previously that generally a four is the number you're looking for to get a success, or, and then therefore eight for a raise. Uh, parry's the thing that people try and roll to hit you. So if you've got a higher parry score, then they need to roll a higher number to hit you, basically. Uh, and that's based on two plus half your fighting skill. So the better you are at fighting, the harder it is for other people to hit you, which makes sense. Uh, and toughness is just, it works off bigger, but that's how difficult you are to wound. So when you mentioned about the difference between stats and skills there, that's straight away why you'd have a higher yes. vigor because it makes you tougher and harder to injure. Um, one of the stats they have taken away is charisma, actually. That used to be a, an individual stat that went into kind of social roles, and they've folded all that into the edges now. So you won't find a charisma-derived stat like you used to. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it has, as you mentioned earlier, it's got five stats, and in a lot of games, the stats are classically are six, yes. and one of them would be charisma or or maybe wisdom, and that they don't bother with that at a stat level in this game. It, it crops up elsewhere, doesn't it? The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! Yeah, so, I mean, we did a lot of talking there, and I feel like we've made it sound like it's there's a lot to it. I think if you pick up the book and look at it, you'll find it's quite simple to make a character. I, th- I think that I think it is. And like with any game, you probably want someone who knows how to play it to sort of sit next to you. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and you said, mate, you had Excel spreadsheets, but that's just because you like Excel spreadsheets. They are not in any <laughs> way necessary for doing a Savage Worlds character. No, I remember, no. and, I, and I don't know if this is still true, but I had an awful lot of Savage Worlds characters that were written on index cards. Yeah. I didn't even bother with a character sheet. And certainly as the GM, which we'll come to, you don't have full character sheets for your for your baddies. So there there is you you can get away with surprisingly little jotting down to make a Savage Worlds character. Yeah. Um and although I mean the skill list appears to my eyes to be a lot longer than it used to be. If you just write down the skills that you've got, you're only spending 12 points on skills. You might only have half a dozen things written down on your sheet. Yeah, so, and that's one of the secrets. Like One of the skills is electronics now, but obviously if you're playing pirates, then you just don't put that skill on your sheet because no one will have it. Yeah. So, you know. uh, and you know, other savage settings will add skills that are relevant to that setting. So the secret with the skills list is definitely to pick and choose and decide what things you want in your game. Uh, unlike other yeah. games, if you put points in skills, that's a flag to the gem that that's the sort of adventure you want. So that's yeah. you know, the usual uh, usual rules apply. No, I think that's fair, mate. Character creation summaries on page 57. It's got eight steps to it, and one of those is what's your concept. So then you do races, hindrances, attributes, skills, derived statistics, edges, and gear. Yeah. It's not... it. That's about on a level with basic D&D from back in the day. In yeah. Fairness. Yeah, it's dead simple. I think some of the fun comes from looking through the hindrances and edges chapters, which is your advantages and disadvantages. And as I mentioned, if you get, if you buy some hindrances at character progression, and if not, why not? You should be doing this. 
uh, you then get to buy some other advantages or, or you get some points to spend on your stats or something like that. But mm-hmm. I think that's where the fun comes from. And if you think of um, like Indiana Jones or whatever, some kind of game like that, that's where you can flick through these lists and think, yeah, that's the sort of thing this character would have. So you think of, um, is, it, is it John Reese Davis, he's called, that he was like Indy's mate in Egypt. Salah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, well, he's probably, you could say obese. That's one of the, that's a hindrance. It gives him an increased toughness as it happens. But you mean, you might give him that, and then you might think of uh, other advantages he's got. Well, he seems to be quite persuasive, so you might add that in as your edge and that kind of thing. So I think for my, my spreadsheets I used to have is because he used to make characters five at a time on a tab and then create a new tab and do the five characters. <laughs> and I just wanted a big list of things to pick from. Um, so they, they cover all kinds of things. Uh, I mean, some of the hindrances, I don't know, like blind, for example. I don't know why you want a blind character, but there might be some, I don't know, a comic book setting or something, maybe not Daredevil, but something where the, the protagonist is blind and you want to pick that up. So it is covered. Um, yeah. They're a bit of a mixed bag. I think both the hindrances and the edges in terms of some have definite uh, mechanical impacts and some of those mm-hmm. are worse than others or more impactful than others. And then some seem to be more role-playy and it's just something that you're expected to do like being heroic, for example, as a major hindrance, is that you're noble and you won't say no to a person in need and that kind of stuff. But there's no, there's nothing in the rules that tells you what happens if you don't, but you're just expected to do it. So if you pick that hindrance, there's that kind of onus on players to kind of like buy into it as well. And we mentioned Benny, so that's the sort of thing where a GM can reward a player for playing his hindrances. So if you do act heroically and try and save someone, you put yourself in peril, the GM can then throw you one of these bennies, which you can use then later on in the adventure and that kind of stuff. So it's it's a proper grab bag. Um, it's hard to say they're all balanced because they're all so different. As in, mm. you know, one might be that you're, you're illiterate. Now, how much that matters in a setting depends on the setting and various other things. Uh, or, yep. or you might have one arm. I mean, there's there's a real mix of things in there. I think it's a uh, it kind of re- it relies on the rule of like don't play with idiots. Yeah, because <laughs> if if you want to. You could you could try and min max this. I mean, it, what what a strange game to pick to want to do that, but I suppose it's possible. You've only got four points out of your hindrances, and and they are categorised. The, the balancing mechanism they use, isn't it, is minor and major, which is not exactly fine grained balance, <laughs> big ones and little ones. But I mean, if I just look on like one page of hindrances, like for example, there's a bloodthirsty is a major hindrance, and curious is a major hindrance, which is every single one of my characters. So, you know, yeah. but I don't know. That's three points <laughs> for you, isn't it? <laughs> those are three points. But what a boring thing to take in that case. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, with any kind of game that's got, like, lists of stuff, there's always, in the back of my mind, is thinking, oh, so if I don't take Curious, can I not be Curious in the game? And it's like, that's a dick move on yourself. Of course you could be Curious in the game. Yeah. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, it's a role-playing game. It's fine. And, um, you know, I think there is... Um, there's a there's a, some really nice little combinations in here which would just be fun to play, um, and you're going to get Bennies for doing it. But equally, they should just be fun to do. Playing a clumsy hero is always good because yeah. you know as long as you don't overdo it, the, you know the rest of your party is going to know that you're that person, and it gives the GM somebody to like pick on when there's going to be like you know there's a critical failure down the road and someone has to drop their pack off the side of a mountain. It's going to be you, isn't it? And that's nice. <laughs> Yeah. They're all little role-playing hooks. And I find it quite interesting that hindrances comes before... Well, actually, it comes before skills and stats. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like the very first thing you have to do is is pick what you're shit at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I think it's right. And as long as you view it as this is a flag into what I want to come into play, yeah. um, then that's great. I mean, if you're if you're Indiana Jones, you might have a phobia of snakes or something like that. You know, the, correct. For me, this sort of stuff is what Savage Worlds is great at. For those sort of games, you just you can immediately think of the sort of things that your characters would have, and it's probably covered because it's like that generic toolkit system. They've just got a good widespread of different things that that heroes basically having in various media types and it just it, it sings it makes it easier to put a bunch of characters together for an adventure I found anyway yeah definitely and the flip side of that is edges which are like your your good bits your advantages in some games or feats in another and um, and you get you don't get millions of these do you? you don't get millions of hindrances either it's it's quite broad strokes I suppose yeah. But if you take a bunch of hindrances, you can have a couple more edges. What would a starting character have, guys? If you're human, you get one for nothing, don't you? But if you yeah, took all the hindrances, would you get... What would you have, three edges, maybe, at a starting character? Yeah, possibly. So you can have a minor... No, sorry, two minor and one major hindrance you're allowed to buy, and that would buy you two more edges. So okay. if you're a human, you could start with three edges, for example. Um, the way to get more stuff from Novice straight away is to pick a race, because as I've mentioned, you might get ah, yeah, low light yeah. vision or whatever else. So you can look for your races or build your own, and that's a way of getting starting characters an extra couple of hindrances and edges just straight out of the gate. And then you get the ones from character creation as well, which which obviously I did. Uh, and something I do for conventions all the time is make the characters at least seasoned. We haven't talked about leveling up or something, but that's basically another four lots of advances on a starting character, because mm. I think that for that sort of con game, it rounds them out a bit more and gives them more stuff to do and more dowels and levers to pull and that kind of stuff. But yeah, if you, if you want more stuff initially, then definitely pick a race because that gives you the extra bits. Cool. Okay, so edges. Now, there are they have little sort of cheat sheets for all of these things. I noticed there was like, just in a list, the list is five pages long. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Savage Worlds is supposed to be quite a compact, simple game, but obviously over 16 years of development, an awful lot of stuff has been added, and it's obviously become what you would call core now. That's right. So yeah. there's quite a lot to look through, but what I quite like about the edges is they are, they're broken up into kind of broad categories of edge. It doesn't mean anything else apart from the fact that it's quite nice to know that there are background edges and leadership edges and combat edges so that can be quite useful as a as a navigational tool. Yeah. But there's there's quite a lot to look at. I think I think helpfully they're named in a kind of very pragmatic way. Mm. So you know, guess what? Guess what Brave does, and guess what Brawny does. <laughs> yeah. It's not hard to figure it out, is it? So. And this but, is um, the bit where are there too many? I don't know. I, I know what you mean. This is where Excel comes in again because I, <laughs> I used to have some <laughs> drop down lists where I get to the ones I wanted quite easily. Um, <clears throat> Arguably, if you come in this as straight, it might seem like there's too many. I'd look for ones that sound, like you say, straightforward and like self-explanatory and go for that. Probably not a, a thing of notes, rather, is arcane background. So if you yeah. wanted a spellcaster or a psionic in a sci-fi game or whatever else, then arcane background's where you get that. So you use edges to gain access to supernatural powers. Um, so that's an obvious one. Uh, and then I think, really, like you say, it's just... There are a lot, so if you've never faced this list before, it seems huge. Um, pick ones with short descriptions. So, <laughs> like I've run a Viking games before now and had someone that's Berserk, but Berserk's actually like a decent amount of text to read what it does. Right. Once you play that character, it becomes you, you work out how it works and it's quite straightforward. It's not any more difficult than, for example, playing 30th Age or something okay. like that, but it is a chunk of text. 
compared to say you know attractive where people find you attractive so you get plus one on your performance of persuasion roles because you know there's some quite easy to handle things like you know mm. if something says like you're charismatic or you're lucky or that kind of stuff you can pick those if you want um but again i think this is one of them where it feels like it's fun to have a bit of a read through depends how much time you've got if you're just coming in cold and making a character at the table to play a con game might be a bit tough but if you bought mm. the book you can have a bit of a skim through and some of the names call out to you like uh double tap so if you're playing a game with guns then that immediately sings to that sort of that feel um, whereas Giant Killer, for example, you might want to play in a Warhammer style game where you have a Troll Slayer. Um, so I think there's a lot of these things again that just seem to, to call out. I don't know what there's something about Savage Worlds that makes you, as you flick through it, think, I know what I'd use that for. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just seems to naturally jump into your head, or it does me anyway. It makes me want to generate characters. Yeah. Which is, for a toolkit game, that's actually quite a feat because often with toolkit games, they just give you every single option and you get decision paralysis. I never know where to start in games like GURPS or or some of those superhero games right, where, like, yeah. you know, where do, where do you want to go? Do you want to, like, throw fire or whatever? It's like, okay, please give me an archetype. But these, these hindrances and edges, just if you pick two or three that just sort of jump out at you, that is like your little package. It's, it's quite simple to do, and you kind of want to play them all. Yeah, and I think you, you can narrow it down quite easily by, you know, avoid the power edges when you initially start. You don't really need to look at that. Or professional mm. edges you could probably ignore, and if you want to narrow it down, then look at your, the, the first couple of sections. Probably give you one like leadership edges only really matter if you can have lots of psychics and edge, um, extras and mooks hanging around. Yeah. So there are ways, like you say, because it's compartmentalized. You can just look at, for example, combat edges if you think you're going to fight a lot, or social ones if you think you're really talking a lot, and that that gives you a, a narrower list to to pick the ones you want straight out of it. I think. Yeah. But it gives. I think the good thing about it, because that list is big, and this is what you've got to remember, is uh, you'll advance and you want to get more stuff as time goes on. So it's good there's a big list because you're going to want to level up a lot and you want to pick more and more edges. So it's worth having that expansive list because you want to grow into it. Mm. Okay, cool. That's chapter one. Um... Yeah, we didn't go through the skill <laughs> list, but I don't think we really need to. We've mentioned it in enough detail. It's, no, it's the usual sort of stuff. Yeah. There's, um, I mean, it's quite old-fashioned in a way. I talked about it being like basic D&D because one thing that really reminded me of it is basic D&D, you roll up how many gold pieces you've got, then you have to go shopping, which <laughs> you you have to do that with Savage Worlds. You roll up how many dollars you've got and then you go to the gear section. Um, I'm not a fan of the gear section, guys. I hate to say it. I'm, I don't like it. <laughs> no, I'm, I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, <laughs> In Savage Worlds games, I tend to lean towards the the method where you say, "Well, you've got what you want to be sensible for your character, and, and give yeah. them that kind of thing." We can, there's a little subsection of, uh, about wealth and stuff, which we'll get to in a little bit. But mm. um, it's good that they've added some extra bit that doesn't mean that that means sorry that you don't have to necessarily be being out if you don't want to, which is good. Yeah. And uh, it also mentions in the equipment section that you don't have to use encumbrance really. It says if you want to, mm-hmm. like we're giving you the numbers, but I won't worry about it. Which I also think it's a nice change from the the previous editions. Yeah, there's a it's a judgment call, isn't it? I mean, I think with all, with all the things that make me kind of narrow my eyes with the current Savage Worlds, it's it's me being grumpy really because more options isn't on its own a bad thing. It's yeah. just more options. It's bug you know, feature territory, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, I feel bad about saying like you know there's eight different types of pistol, but because you know, <laughs> I don't have to use all eight. I just grab a pistol. 
but the fact that there is eight is just like oh, just give me less so I can do more with it but that's that's just a personal thing and I think you know and it's, you can't use it all it's a toolkit thing but it's not the compact game that it used to be where where a pistol was literally a pistol at one point I think I might be misremembering I think you're misremembering mm, I think it always probably. gave you an option because it um, yeah it always gave you like a 1911 Colt and then a a 45 style pistol as well and stuff like that oh yeah I'm pretty sure because of Deadlands yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know Derringer so I think it's yeah. fine from that it gives yeah it, it's a mixed bag again like there's quite a lot of the, the things that are listed that are very similar. I do like the way in the new Warhammer, for example, you've got hand weapon, which is you know a sword or an axe yeah. or a mace or whatever. Like you've just basically got a hand weapon. Like we don't really need extra rules for it, and it's a little bit like that with Savage, in that yeah. you know a mace is functionally no different than a hand axe. It's just that you know apparently it weighs a bit more, but they've already told us don't worry about encumbrance. So mm-hmm. do they need to be separate entries, or you know they cost the same? It's, I don't know if it. It does feel a little bit like some of its detail for detail's sake. Um, yeah, and it will heavily depend on your setting as to what your weapons tables look like. But it gives you an idea of of some kind of to give you an idea of the range. So pistols, I think, is fair enough. That it, t- it shows you a Derringer and a police revolver and a, a you know. It's also got some semi-automatics like a Glock or a, a Desert Eagle in there. Like the big named guns that most people have heard of, even if you don't know about guns. Mm-hmm. So it's good at least that it's got a bit of a spread to get you started. But I think, as you mentioned, it will come down to setting, and then the the extra funky bits, like a three bladed spear or something crazy, will be in the setting book. So it just gives you enough to give you an idea of the sort of range of what a weapon will do. I think. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of all yeah. right with it. It feels in one way like there's too much detail, another way like there's not enough. But it's a generic system, and it's just giving you the benchmark. I think. So you pretty much know yeah. that 9mm weapons, be it a pistol or an SMG, will do 2d6-ish. That's kind of what you need to know, isn't it? Yeah, they can never get this right. It won't be comprehensive enough for some people and too much for others, I suppose. And I, I, always, I always look at vehicle sections, and um, it's extensive. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's thorough, isn't it? It's, it's all there if you want it. Um, it's obviously taken stuff from previous companions and so on and thought, they must have had the devil's own job to think, is this going in the core book or not? You can't please everybody. And I think they've erred on the side of generosity. Yes. Which I shouldn't complain about, so I'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the thing, is you can ignore it. I mean, the stuff about cannons and different types of shot and all the rest of it, um, I I would suggest, unless you're playing, for example, a Napoleonic game and want to know how much canister does against the French old guards or something, like that, you will never look at that section. Yeah. But on the plus side... If you want to play the American Revolutionary War or something, you know that you've got at least some rules that will get you somewhere towards playing it. So, yeah, it's a pick and choose section. It's like get an idea about what sort of things you get for your setting, and you can ignore most of it if you want to. Yeah, cool. And, and you've got that's your characters at that point, isn't it, mate? So, you, you, there is thousands of characters you could make from that. In yeah, fairness easily. to the thoroughness of the rules. Um, and you know, even if you made two dudes exactly the same, you could certainly arm them with different grenade loadouts. So yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's all there. It's, it's, it comes down to the edges initially. That's that's the sort of thing. The edges and hindrances are what differentiates your characters. You might all have the same agility and fighting skill and various other things, but it'll be the the edges and hindrances, like having aspects in fate. That that's the thing that makes them all different. All the different characters. Yeah. 
and all of this is done in what about 80 90 pages so you know it's and, and it's it's something you would skim through a bit like an argos catalog anyway you've not had to do a whole lot of reading at this point to be fair to savage worlds no you really haven't true. but you but you can venture back whenever you want to to just flesh stuff out or look stuff up or whatever yeah. it's it's reasonably slim uh, and i think you know some of the reason for that is i think the writing in this book is really quite nice i have to say because it is pure rules text it's it's absolutely a textbook mm. there's there are there are examples but it doesn't sort of diverge off for like little in-game fiction bits or bits of setting or this that or the other it's just telling you how to play the game at this point and how to do characters but it's not dry it's not dry at all it's it's an interesting read even when they're big shopping lists and in most books i get really turned off by that sort of thing yeah but this one's quite good and it's quite colorful we won't really mention the art it's not to my taste i'm going to say quite a bit of it it's a bit too pulpy and cartoonish for me personally um but there's a lot of it, and it's colourful and bright and gives you all kinds of ideas about different settings you might want. And the great thing about the PDF, and listen up, game companies, because there's very few of you that do this, and you all should, um, the layers function in the PDF is activated. So you can go into that, and you can turn off background graphics or you know the, the foreground graphics even, or, or bits like that. So it automatically gives you a, a print-friendly version of the rules, and if everything's too busy anyway you can turn stuff off to just make it black and white and easy to read. So cool. well done for Pinnacle for that and other games companies take note. Yeah, and and I really do like the art. I think it's great. And actually in previous editions, it was literally cartoon art that yeah. they had to lean on back in the day, in fairness. So this is, this is less jokey than early Savage Worlds. Is that fair to yep. say? Because, yeah. you know, it used to have like a grinning skull that would talk to you like, like Stan Lee would. In a Marvel <laughs> movie, and it doesn't have that anymore. I like I like that it's got um it's got two example characters that are used throughout the book. One is called Gabe, and one's called Red. And I really like the idea that um that the two fictional players of these characters always have the same name, no matter what genre they're playing in. And yeah. like Gabe is always a big tough guy, and Red's always a bit ninja. And it, and it's quite it's just nicely done. Uh, I think they've put some real thought into the presentation of something that could be quite dry. Mm. Um, I, I think it looks great, actually. Yeah, it looks good. I mean, I'm one of those people who'd like the same artist to do all the art for a book, for example. Okay. And, yeah. and deliberately, they've picked a variety of different styles and things in the book. So, it's yeah, it's just purely a taste thing. It, for me, it feels too all over the place. And for other people, they'll think it's cool because they have lots of different ideas. So, yeah. And it is worth noting, again, as we do, because we should, it is not cheesecake. It's nice and diverse, and it is representative of stuff that that it just looks right so you know it's modern game well done pinnacle needs to be said yeah quite right uh, and then beyond that we're really into into rules now and i think we've mentioned some of these already so things like wild cards as in your player characters get the extra wild die and they're the heroes of the story then there's extras who are policemen or indians or cowboys or whatever else you might just meet that you get to beat up and you're slightly better than they are and they don't get bennies and you do so you should expect to beat up mooks quite a lot. Don't be frightened of getting a fight with twice as many goblins as you have player characters. That sort of thing. Uh, tells you about the difference between trait roles and other kinds of roles, which are basically your traits, are your stats, or your skills sort of thing. It's, it's that kind of stuff. Um, goes into raises, which we've mentioned, which is getting extra success. And um, the bit, probably that. Uh, is important here is critical failures, which again used to be an optional rule, I think, or a setting rule. 
If you roll mm-hmm. a one on your wild die and a one on the skill die that you're rolling, so snake eyes basically, that's a critical fail. And you used to be able to just spend a Benny to get rid of that and, and re-roll it and do better if you wanted to. But it's now part of the core rules that if you roll Snake Eyes, you don't get to spend your Fate Chips to, to change that. You've just messed up. And crucially, if you do use Bennies to get re-rolls, one of their primary uses, if you roll a critical failure with your re-roll, you're now stuck with a critical failure. So there's a bit of a risk to spending your Bennies, which it never used to be. It always used to be. And it's just right. like whether you want to spend them or not or whether you want to keep some behind. Uh, and now if you re-roll, there's a chance you might critical fail if you do it. And I think that's important because one of the features that I used to find a little bit frustrating with Savage, especially if you gave out loads of bennies, was characters would use them all the time and never seem to fail. And there was that, the element of danger sometimes felt a little bit lost. So mm. just having, as small as it is, that chance of critically failing and you can't do anything about it, you've just got to suck it up now, you've messed up. I think that, that gives it the extra element it needed just to make that element of chance that things might not go your way uh, prevalent in the book yeah uh, agreed I mean there's the, some of the rules changes across the editions as you said right at the top of this some of them are fundamental and they don't have a highlighter through them in this book you'll have to go onto the website if you want to just see a, a list of updates and it's provided for you but you'd need to do quite a close read I think I might have missed that if I just read through the book um, and then there's other stuff which will leap out a little bit more is it worth at this point discussing Shaken? Because that's that's a special kind of rule that a lot of games don't have anyway. I think it's one of the sort of unique selling points of Savage, and that's had a bit of an over an overhaul recently, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it has. I mean, it, it's been through a couple of changes. It was always um, a bit of a chalk and cheese rule. I always explain yeah. it as the start of Saving Private Ryan, where they've just got off the boat and on the beach, and Tom Hanks is kind of like staggering about. Everything's going. He's lost his hearing, everything's a bit fuzzy, he's hiding behind covers and what's going on. That's kind of like the shaken thing. So if someone rolls some damage and it equals or exceeds your toughness, that the first four points of that, if you will, is being shaken. So you don't physically get hurt, but you feel the need to hide behind cover or you've been knocked a little bit insensible or something. So it's something that will pass, but you can't act until you've got rid of that shaken. And people didn't like it a lot of the time because it could be quite tough to get rid of that condition. And you're basically like then deprotagonizing one of the players around the table and saying, you can't do anything until you make this roll. And if you've taken some wounds and you have penalties to your rolls, it can be difficult to get rid of the condition. So that used to make a lot of people quite sulky. Uh, they basically made it easier to get rid of it. So you used to have to roll uh, spirit and get... If you wanted to act as well that turn, you need to get a raise. So you'd have to roll an eight, all things being equal, which if you've got a d6 in spirit, was actually quite tough. You need to roll up, you need to ace on at least mm-hmm. one of your die. Uh, and now it's just if you get any success, then you get rid of the shaking condition and can act. And you can also spend a Benny at any time, even if it's not your go, and that will also get rid of the shaking condition. So mm. I like it because it accounts for some of the ducking and diving behind dumpsters to get out of gunshots and, and other things that would happen, or just taking a, a spade to the face, which temporarily sends little birds spinning around your head before you get your wits about you again and start get stuck back into the fight. It battles that well without having to track hit points or knocking damage off your character. It's just a way of the bit of rough and tumble of pulpy adventures, which this game emulates. It adds some of that element to the game. Uh, I think they've, they've neutered Shaken a bit. It used to be quite tough, and now it's a lot easier to get rid of, so I don't think it's as much an issue as it used to be. And it's an interesting mechanic. It is an interesting mechanic, and it has that kind of... It has little knock-on effects that aren't immediately obvious. So um, if you're playing with minis and or you're just playing with lots and lots of NPCs which this game enables you to do then then shaken is that nice little middle ground between okay and dead 
and, <laughs> and it's it's really easy to represent um, because that's that's kind of what you want to know. People are either up and fighting, down and out, or they're they're some medium condition. Yeah, and it does that really well because this game does not use hit points, does it? I don't. We haven't mentioned that properly yet. It it doesn't have hit points. It doesn't have that level of attrition. Um, wild cards, which is your player characters, do have wounds, but we're talking three wounds here. Yes, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> and that doesn't mean it's a deadly game. But I mean, the way that wounds work is quite interesting. Could, could you take us through that, mate? Because you, you'll know you'll know how to do it properly, and I'll mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. This is where, where your toughness comes in, like I've said. So when you hit someone with your 9mm Glock, uh, which does 2d6 damage, you roll 2d6 and apply that against the toughness. Uh, if your toughness is average, let's say 5, if you roll between 5, 6, 7 or 8 damage, then you'll be shaken. If you get 4 or above, i.e. a raise above toughness, then that'll be 1 wound. And if you get 8 above, i.e. 2 raises, that'll be 2 wounds. And so on and so forth. And each wound you've got gives you minus one on all your rolls, which doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, you miss by one tons. As soon as you take that one wound or two wounds, you're suddenly missing all the time. Uh, and the other thing about shaken is if you've been shaken at one point, you might be Tom Hanks hiding behind the tank trap trying to get hit. If you get shaken again by something, then that translates into a wound as well. So it's not like a, a get-out-of-jail-free that you just take a, a tonk on the head or you're, you're a bit disoriented and you can just stay that way, it's all fine. If you don't sort yourself out, then it's going to accumulate into wounds eventually because you're in a bad situation. Um, so wounds can be a little bit tough to get rid of, depends on the setting, about whether you've got magic to do it or first aid can get rid of it or not. But I, I use tokens for this again, so this is red poker chips and I'll throw a white poker chip, say if you're shaken, and red ones for wounds, and people can stack them up in front of each other. And again, it's that nice visual way of people saying, how messed up are you? Uh, generally speaking, if you've got any bennies, what most people do, because there's another use for them, is you can spend one and roll vigor and try and soak the wound. So it might be that the gunshot hit the Bible in your pocket, or you tough it out, or it's not as bad as it first seemed, or however you want to describe it. Uh, but bennies can also be used to soak wounds up as well. So it seems quite limited, only having three of them. But actually, there's quite a lot of flexibility once you count in the fact that you can sort them, that there's a shaker mechanic as well, and then there's first aid and bits and pieces that allow you to knock them down after the fight as well. Okay. And when you go out the other end of wounds, and it's going to be game over, that is a little chart to roll on for critical wounds? Yeah, you kind of have to make a, a vigor roll, basically, and depending on the outcome of that roll, it might just be that you're, you're out of it for a bit if you roll really well. It could be that you roll this chart and that's just, you have to put up that for a short while, like maybe an hour or so. Uh, mm. Or it could be a permanent injury and the result of that injury could be death. But largely it'll be a reduction in some sort of stat or you'll have, you know, you have a, a limp from now on or lose an eye or something like that kind of thing. But um, it's quite tough just to take someone clean out quite often. It's, yeah. you know, you build up your wounds or you take them. Because of acing rolls, because dice rolls can roll up, you can, out of the blue, get a little goblin that does 57 damage on his roll, and all of a sudden someone's taking a big stack of runes they can't handle, and they're out of it. Mm. But quite often, it's it's more of a, you're out for that combat, and then people can do something to sort of bring you around and save you from the brink so you don't bleed out. Um, like a first aid roll will sort of help people if they've been, um, rolled the bleeding out condition on that table. But uh, most characters are fairly durable and tough, uh, and it's where it's got right to the end when you've run out of bennies and you're still taking wounds that everybody starts looking nervously at each other about whether you're going to make it through or not yeah my my experience of savage worlds is that it's it's not exactly swingy that that's not the right thing to say but every dice roll is quite interesting because it's always got the possibility of maxing and then going big going really big mm. 
Um, you can't stop players rolling, even when you've already told them they've hit and they've done enough. They just want to keep going yeah. to see if they can get a 27 on a D4. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, is, it is very engaging. I mean, I mean, for us it is, because we like gaming, our role-playing games. There is a big old gameable element in it. And um, and it's, it's juicy, but it's not overbearing. It doesn't take forever to do. It is, I mean, we haven't gone back to the FFF thing for a while, but it is sort of furious, isn't it? Because stuff, your your turn comes around quite quickly and stuff always seems to happen or there's always something to do, despite the existence of a shaken mechanic, which makes it look on paper as if you spend some time just staggering around not doing anything. <laughs> it's just not really the case because things go around pretty quickly. You're not waiting 20 minutes for your go. So, like, you know, missing half a turn isn't that bad when, like, two minutes later you're going to be rolling the bones again. Yeah, and it's, it's worth mentioning at this point the use of bennies, that they've added some extra bits you can use for them. And in the mm. old game, it used to recommend James get out one or two per session. So I always got uh, lambasted for not giving out enough bennies in my game, whereas actually giving out what the rule book said you should. However, it was too few, and every since you give more. Well, it turns out the writers of Savage Worlds have now agreed, and they say in their book, give out loads. <laughs> so the, the world's <laughs> definitely turned. And I think as a consequence of that, they've now thought of some other ways of using them. And mm. there used to be an old uh, edge called No Mercy, which allowed you to re-roll damage. And this is one of the things they've folded into the core game now. So anyone can re-roll damage by spending a Benny. So that helps mm. speed up the game. If you want to draw a new action card, if you've drawn the two clubs for your initiative and want better than that, you can spend a Benny to get a new action card. So they've added extra bit ways in of speeding, making it even more fast and furious. You know, you can do more damage now, mm. you can act faster, you can recover from a shaker, and you can even influence the story is a use now of a Benny, which is something from other games. So that's all cool. I think it's, it feels more furious now than it used to, if that's possible. Yeah, I think I think definitely. I think the basic rules, I mean, you kind of told us what the rules were before we even got into character generation, because it's not that, there's not that much to it from an explanation point of view. I think you can be playing Savage Worlds within 15 minutes and probably having a fight within 15 minutes and knowing what was going on. I think in your first encounter, you'll learn a lot and then the second one, you'll be home dry. Um, and then, you know, but the rules book itself, it takes a sort of leaf out of the way that Chaosium do it with their spot rules. Mm. There's a lot, there is a lot of little sort of conditional things that you can do. So if you want to know how to do suppressive fire, it's there. And without even looking, I know there'll be something about blind fighting or two-weapon fighting and all of those bits and pieces. It'll be there. Yeah. Um, but it's all nicely listed, but it's not part of like, you know, the core mechanical chapter. Playing Savage Worlds is not difficult. It's fun. There's loads of little widgets to play with, whether it be card or plastic or dice. There's lots going on. But it's not as complicated as it sounds. And I think... I don't know if Savage Worlds could ever be considered a light game, but I think it had a... It might People might have used it, that term about it back in the day. It, it, it feels light, but it's actually got loads of heft. I think it's probably medium crunch, which is, you know, no description at all, is it? <laughs> but it, it's medium rare crunch. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I know what you're saying. Like the the basic game is definitely easy. Uh, yeah, but I think you get bored of the basic game very quickly because you're just rolling your fighting and rolling damage, and that would get dull. Mm. And that I've seen that that's the way it's played. And sometimes I've had to run it like that because people aren't getting the extra bits and pieces you can do. But for me, the right. savage world, the fun is all in the bells and whistles. So when you see players start to get that, that order of initiative matters. So they'll look around the table and go, well, hang on a minute. Uh, Pete and Dave are going before Baz, so if they try and trick the guy and throw sand in his face, then by the time Baz does it, he'll get these big bonuses, or the 
and maybe there's some penalties and that kind of thing. Mm. And once people start to work out, you can do things like that or make cold shots to shoot the gun out of someone's hand or, you know, maybe take aim or fall prone because, you know, you don't want to get be stood up in a gunfight. It's all those extra bells and whistles which at first you ignore while you just get your head around the system and then start to make it come alive. And when players start helping each other out or compiling all these different options to, to make different things happen, that's where it gets cool and interesting, I think, and gives it more longevity as well, to be fair. Yeah, so I remember from classic Savage Worlds, which I've just decided to call it, uh, <laughs> tricks and taunts. Are they still a thing, or or are they one of many things now, or two of many things? It's all changed. Um, the sort of core functionality is still there. Uh, they've now got two new conditions uh, called distracted and vulnerable, which are functionally the same as what tricks, taunts, and tests used to do, sort of thing. So if you're distracted, you subtract two from all your trait rolls until the end of your next turn, mm. which is the sort of thing like we used to trip someone up and give them minus two kind of thing to their parry. It, it feels like that kind of thing. And the other one is vulnerable, where actions against that target get plus two. So depending on whether you want to make someone worse or you want to make it easy for your mates to hit them, you go for one of those kind of um, conditions to try and land them on your opponent kind of thing. Uh, it used to be a test of will, but you now have tests, they're called. Uh, and mm. it's a bit more free and easy about what you can use for that test to try and get the, the benefit you want out of it and that kind of stuff. So that stuff's still there. It just works a little bit differently now. At first, I bumped up against it. Having different conditions felt a little bit Pathfinder or D&D and imagine different colored rings around the base of a miniature to work out are they shaken, stunned, distracted, vulnerable, whatever. Uh, but having read through the book again uh, recently, it makes sense. They've just probably formalised some of the language around things you used to do anyway and made it slightly different yeah. in some cases and more flexible. But yeah, it, it's there. It's just in a slightly Good. different form, basically. I'm glad it's there because that tends to be one of those sort of moments of wonder with a player that comes to Savage Worlds when the throwing sand in your opponent's eye is not only possible but encouraged. And in yeah. a lot of games, that's actually quite hard to adjudicate. And I know people will be just saying, oh, that's just advantage, or is it disadvantage, or is it an aspect, or whatever it is in your favourite game. But it's it's quite, it's, it, there's an adjudication needed in most games for that, yeah. as there is in Savage Worlds. But it's entirely possible, as is the old trick of, like, he's behind you. Yeah. Which is like, you know, that means that, you know, clever characters can, can do stuff in combat that isn't just, like, pulling the trigger or swinging the axe. So those little bits in there have a mechanical uh, consequence to them rather than just it's fun to say it. And and that's where it brings the game into the role-playing game again. Just little things like that. Though they're not little things. They're quite big things, I think. And uh, and they're a real unique selling point for Savage Worlds. Yeah, and they're relatively simple. And it's stuff like if uh, you get a raise on a test, for example, when you're trying to trip someone up or whatever else, then you also shake your opponent. So that's, where that, that's one of the reasons why shaking is a good mechanic. It, mm. it comes from fights, but also you can do things that are non-fighty, uh, and it will influence the game. So I used to quite often have an elderly character in, in my set of five characters for most of my scenarios because you got um, you can make them elderly. They basically get more skill points, but they're kind of weak mm. physically. But if you give them like a good taunt and intimidate and that kind of thing, they could add to the fight by basically shaking people by taunting them or you know just like disparaging young fighters and making them more easier <laughs> for the the warrior and the team to beat up then because they felt shamed by this old guy in the corner mm. with his his bell. Kind of shouting shame or something <laughs> or whatever it might be, and they kind of they ch- uh, tweaked that a little bit with tests as they've redone them now to sort of say, 
uh, rather than shaken, it could be something that's a little bit more subjective. So if you want to trip someone up, you could literally trip them up and they're now prone, for example, which is mm. a, a state mm. of being um, and that kind of stuff. So all through it, when they've tweaked about with things, they've tried to make it even more flexible and other examples of things you might want to do in your game that sound fun or interesting to affect what's mm. happening. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a learning curve to try and fold in every single one of these things into your first game if you're GMing. Just don't do that. Um, it is a toolkit, although all of this stuff in the rules section, I think you could apply to pretty much every game in every genre and every setting. Yeah, Just take it easy, I think. you know, Just go at it, start basic and move up. I think they suggest in there, don't they? Like, you know, if you're learning how to play this game, generate a character and, and have them fight three skeletons and just like, sketch it out on a bit of paper and just see how it goes. Yeah. But even that, a character fighting three skeletons, I think Savage Worlds will surprise you with some of the stuff that comes from that. It's unusual and cool. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, I think you're right. It's much like the edges where we're saying there's loads of them, what do you pick? It's the same for the the extra combat rules and other tweaks and tests and other things you can do. Is just have a few at a time and introduce them. Uh, what I tend to do for conventions is pick the most common ones and just have a little cheat sheet for them. And you find that people start out just by hitting things with their axe. And then after an hour or two, they go, well, what else can I do? You see them flipping over the sheet to find out what the extra things they can do. Like, Wait a minute, I can go wild. And they get plus two attack and damage. It's like, yes, you do. I'm going to do that then. Cool. You're now easy for me to hit as well with my bad guys. Yeah, yeah, but it's worth it. And then those little conversations start happening. The Or... The good thing to do as a GM is the top tip is start using some of those options on the players. If they're not picking up on it or don't seem to want to engage with them, it's like, fine, have your big villain intimidate one of the other mm. player characters and then have all these minions go wild and attack him berserkly in a furious fashion. And then the players go, they do what now? What do you mean about ganging up? Where are all these pluses coming from? It's like, well, you look cold in this as well. And then they'll take a, a, you know, a keen interest in all these options that suddenly their eyes are open to. Okay. Cool. Well, we're only about halfway through the book, mate, but I'm kind of conscious of time that we've done an hour. (laughs) So I don't think the second half of the book will take as much discussion uh, because it tends to be sort of like essay format, but maybe we'll come back to that. And I definitely want to talk about some of the settings and then the expectations of of what's happening in our play with Savage Worlds and and some of the pros and cons, you know, what's good about Savage Worlds, what's not so good about Savage Worlds. There's no such thing as a perfect gaming system. It's one of our favourites, but it doesn't mean it's perfect. Mm. Um, so I think there's still loads more to talk about. Definitely. But at this stage, if you are following along at home, hopefully you've got a Jones to now go and build some characters and put them into some conflicts um, because you've got enough in 100 pages there to keep you going with just that for a long time and you can build a hobby around that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you I'm, could leave it there. I'm pretty sure they still have him. I haven't checked the pinnacle site. Uh, too recently, but they used to have one sheets, which I'm sure there'll yes. be a, a Trevor Trove of anyway, which should work fairly well, even with the, the rules changes there are now, which were literally one side of A4 with a little adventure on it, which will only be an hour's worth of game or something. But they're great mm. to get you going, like you say, if you want to make some characters and run a one sheet or two in a session, that's like a nice little evening there with a couple of beers and a pizza. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And we haven't even got to like the supernatural yet, and I think, you know, for our listeners, tune in next time because if it ain't supernatural, it's probably not Savage Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're just on the cusp of the, of the next chapter. I'll just give you a, a quick preview: is the Adventure Toolkit, and these are lots yeah. of cool little subsystems. Which, again, I'm saying I've said it before and I'll say it again: it's the bells and whistles in Savage World that make it sing. Some people think it's just rolling a d6 or a d8. It's all these extra bits, 
and they're all quite easy and straightforward and I think the really cool bit that I'll shout out about them now is at the start of each one it does say when to use these rules so it even tells you when to use them or not bother and under several of them it says if you're trying to do x then just don't bother with this if you're trying to do y then here's what you do and here's like one or two pages and how to do it and it's stuff like you know dramatic tasks so it might be disarming bombs it's things like mass battles it's stuff like uh, even quick encounters when you don't want something to be tons and tons of rolls you just boil it all down to one roll and see what happens so loads of good stuff to come in the next episode and uh, yeah then spells and monsters and more settings it, it might even extend to three episodes who knows Baz it is every chance mate because I, at some point I need to ask you if the chase rules are any good and I can't believe that's <laughs> going to be a short answer <laughs> put a separate cast aside yeah well now we're just for that <laughs> You can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. More diplomacy! Okay. Listen, guys, thanks for sticking with us so long. Um, as usual, huge thanks to our supporters and backers, whether it be on Patreon or just the people who give us a thumbs up on Twitter. Uh, thanks to your support, we can pay the hosting bills which seem to come round on an annual basis every two weeks. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> What's that on my credit card? So we really again? appreciate yeah. it. Chucking us a couple of dollars in the old tip jar literally keeps this show on the road. So thank you so much for that. And for getting in touch for all the usual channels at smartpartyathotmail.com. Uh, through Twitter's dead easy. Uh, Gaz looks after the Smart Party account and I look after my own account, but you can get us either way. Um, and... Um, yeah, listen out next time for more Savage. It'd be interesting to hear what your experiences have been. If you're a classic Savage player, you've never tried it before, you're Savage curious, or you got in deep on the Kickstarter. Um, what are you thinking so far? Um, what should we be covering next? Let us know. Cool, yep. Yeah. Big shout out to Simon, Gene and Sean, who are our three newest Patreons. Thank you very much for joining in the fun. And, uh, Cheers, guys. Yeah. Do tell us if you play the new Savage Worlds and have some opinions we like opinions about gaming we have enough of our own but we can always hear some more from you guys out there in Listenerland. land see you next time thanks everybody bye bye